And you can turn to Judges 14, because we are going to continue our study in Samson. Last week we left off looking at the Nazarite vow, and we described what that was. Uh, One of the first things we found out about this particular judge named Samson was that uh, he was set apart from birth. From before birth, he was already set apart, let's put it that way. Whether his mother was a Nazarene or not, we knew she was not supposed to drink wine or have any part of the fruit of the grape, nothing. We, We talked all about that. We also talked about Jesus Christ. He was a Nazarene, but was he a Nazarite? The answer we found out was no. But we don't know much about the Nazarite vow, but we we do know it was something important. We also know because we saw Paul had cut his hair in the book of Acts, Acts 18, because of a vow he had taken. So so we know that the Nazarite vow is is entered um, willfully, except in Samson's case, it was supposed to be for his whole life. And it, you, when you divest yourself, there's this whole ritual you have to go through with the priests and, and everything and sacrifices and, and, and way of offerings and so forth and so on. So we've gotten past that. <clears throat> and we also found out that uh, Jesus was not a Nazarite because he really didn't need to be. <laughs> he, he's our Savior. We don't need, if he needed to be a Nazarite, I'm sure Scripture would have told us a lot more of what the Nazarite vow was. But now let's ba- get back to talking about Samson. Um, actually, if you could turn to Judges uh, chapter 13 and verse 24. I, I had you move a little forward there. 13 and 24. You just review the fact that it's now 1155 B.C. Not that dates matter because they really don't. We're in a timeline here at this point. Sure. Don't walk behind me. I get nervous. That's why I keep a wall behind me all the time. Just teasing. Just teasing. I'm not paranoid. So, <laughs> and we know that Samson's mother was barren. The typical story. A barren woman is really, it's sort of a dichotomy because here's someone who's not just able to have children, but barren, getting a little on the older side, and yet there's a son of some type of promise or special, uh, uh, special uh, allocation in, in God's plan brought to her. So we also know that during his growing up, he decided, and this is now where we go to Judges 14 and verse 3, Samson decided for himself among the Philistines, who he was, by the way, brought to bring Israel out of bondage from, right? They were in bondage to the Philistines in this particular instance for 40 years. And Samson is now going to be the one that's going to be using, uh, being used by God to bring them out of this bondage. And who does he decide he wants to marry? A Philistine. I guess they were beautiful women. You know, they might have been lovely. I don't know. But what I was saying to you last week and where we left off, that this particular woman we're going to talk about is not the one you're thinking of. Who am I talking about? Delilah. Well, this is not Delilah. Delilah doesn't come later until later. As a matter of fact, you'll find that this particular wife is actually a plan of God so that there would be cause to invade the Philistines because of this marriage. It's interesting how this works out. But that's where we have the jump off point here. So we're going to continue from that point. And he gets ad- adamant, adamant about, uh, about this with his parents. Remember he said he was probably a, a spoiled brat. Mm. Because his parents, he says, I have found this girl and I want to marry her. And, and, and the parents, instead of saying no, they said, well, don't you think it's probably, it smells like parents today. Mm. Don't you think it's probably, can't you find someone from like our people, you know? So that's where we are right now. His mother and father in uh, Judges 14 and verse 3, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. Now, I'm going to just go down to verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. This is to collect his new bride. 
As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion, now remember this, a young lion, came out, roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart and with his bare hands as he might have torn apart a young goat. I want to stop there for a second. Here's a key point. Being a Nazarite did not imply that God gave you very strong physical power because he didn't have that until God blessed him with it. You see, so he was already a Nazarite as a child. So this whole thing with the power of the Nazarite or the power because he's a Nazarite being tied to the length of the hair is part and parcel of the story in Samson's case. Because Paul, it sounds like he grew his hair because he says he cut it because of a vow. We read that in Acts 18, but it didn't say, Paul never had superhuman strength. So this is a separate feature that God tied in, in Samson's case, as a judge for the particular job he had for him. The whole point of that is, I think, I get out of this personally anyway, for us, we have a particular job to do. We are Christians as a group, we are Christians individually, and for one reason, because we're called and we responded and we, we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice uh, and, and his blood for, uh, and resurrection for our being saved. And then, of course, our big job, because faith without works is dead, right? Our big job is after that, what do we do? Well, God has a plan. If he has a, a special attribute for you and you get that, like maybe it's a lot of wisdom, or maybe it's the gift of hospitality. Or maybe he blesses you with a, with a job or a career or something that gives you a lot of money so that you can give to things that he wants you to give. Or maybe you were blessed to be poor for some specific reason or disease or, or some kind of malady so you can learn how to be sympathetic to others. Okay, there's a, that is a specific job, even though some people may look at it and say it's a curse. My point is this. Your and my Christianity is not tied to what God has given us to do. He ties what he's given us to do in the context of Christianity. Again, that's my point of view, because if you look at the nuance here, the strength becomes tied to Samson and is symbolized by his long hair. And the fact that the hair was cut is not really what took away his strength. God took away his strength because he allowed that to happen. Because we're going to see here, remember we talked about the Nazarite vow last week, there were three conditions. Just one second, Bob. There were three conditions. He broke all three. He wasn't a very good man. Yes? Just repeat that, because that statement you say, about which, which part? He didn't do this because of that. Well, what I, was, I was equating that Samson here was given power by the Lord just in time to be strong enough to rip apart this lion that came to attack him, which implies he didn't have the superhuman strength, which he is famous for, until that point. That's what I'm saying. But he was, he was born under the vow of a Nazarite. What I was saying was, is I was separating the two concepts. This great physical strength, this special attribute of great physical strength, was not a direct result of being a Nazarite. It was actually a separate attribute that was given to Samson, but for some reason God tied it to his being set apart as a Nazarite. Because we know that the strength went away when he cut his hair, but we also know, which I didn't say before, does that make sense? And at the end of the story, which you all know, which of course we'll get into, is, remember, the Philistines captured him finally because he had little, he allowed Delilah the, the opportunity to understand this quote unquote secret of where he got his strength, which was not the right secret, but it was the hair. He allowed it that he would be tricked and his hair would be cut. But his last act was when they, when they captured him and they were able to overpower him because his super strength was gone, right? They took him into their temple. They tied him to the posts or the, uh, the columns. And what was the last thing he did? 
He asked God, he took his eyes out. He asked God for one more uh, spate of strength and he pulled those columns down. See my point? Why I was saying that, Bob, is because people always, and I did too until I really understood this, tied Samson's strength to his vow as a Nazarite or the taking the Nazarite vow. They're not, they're not, they're not, compa I mean, not compatible, they're not prerequisite of each other. They're separate. Taking the Nazarite vow, I was just saying, is we as taking the Christian vow for life. The strengths that we have or the things that God wants to do for us, the attributes he gives us, whether they are physical strength or some other talent or some other ability or whatever he does, is tied to our Christianity where people might say, and I would have thought because when I first became a Christian, I thought it was sort of like, hey, I'm a Christian now. I'll have a lot of good things happening to me just because I'm a Christian. You know, what I would think were good, all of these wonderful things. God's going to give me special things. But I did not know he was going to do that, but not on my terms and not because I was Christian. It's because I have a job to do and he's going to equip me to do it. Same thing in Samson's case, even though Samson failed. That's what I was trying to say. Does that make it clear? Not that it's a big point, but it's something I get out of this. And again, we're parsing scripture here to understand the mind and heart of God and understand how he operates. And I just think that's part of it. Okay. All right. So he tears apart this lion as if he had torn apart a young goat. I mean, he dispatched this lion pretty quickly. It's not hard to rip apart a goat and the goat's not going to try to tear you back. But the point is, and we're going to get into this, remember I told you that there is a, um, uh, this riddle that he gives in this marriage ceremony to this particular Philistine woman, and we'll get into that, but it does involve this lion. A couple of things there, so we'll go. So Judges, um, Judges 14 and verse 8, sometime later when he went back to marry her, this particular Philistine he liked from Timnah, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. Ah, he, now remember he had killed the lion and he left it there. He didn't bury it. He just left it there. That's what the, the pretext is. Sometime later, so it's a, it's a distance, it's a, it's a section of time here. He went back to marry. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and it was a swarm of bees and some honey. Now, what is the likelihood of bees making a home inside of any carcass? Right. Uh, this is a special event, and there's got to be a reason for it, because as we know, Scripture does not say something for nothing. I don't want to use a double negative again. I think I did that last week. I'm not an English major. Never was. I barely made it out of high school. You probably tell that. But that's beside the point. God's been very good to me in my ignorance <laughs> and stupidity. But anyway, so this is, the, this is the pretext now to this riddle, because now you have a deadline. We have a carcass. We have in it a swarm of bees that made honey. Interesting. Lion, bees, honey. We'll get there. Verse 9, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. Now he's eating the honey from the lion's carcass that the bees had made. Now, now he's just, so he's doing this as a matter of course because this is the kind of guy it seems Samson is. He just sees something and he does it. Sort of like the Joker in Batman. He just does stuff. You know, That's going to be his downfall, by the way. So he's eating and he's going along his way. When he rejoined his parents, now listen to this, he gave some to his parents and they ate too. Now, I'm just going to loosely equate this to the time of Adam and Eve. I'm not saying this prophecy has anything to do with that particular instance because this, in, in, in effect, is actually the antithesis of that. Where that was a curse, this is going to actually turn out to be a prophecy for blessing through this. Okay? And also, they ate it and they did, not, they did not know where it came from. So there's innocence in this, but I want you to see that there is a parallel here. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass, and that's the point. Uh, verse 10. 
Now his father went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there as, as was customary for bridegroom. So you see now, he's getting ready to marry this Philistine woman. This is the setup. She's not Delilah, but this is the setup. So what I'm going to do is, to make a long story short, I'm going to let Josephus tell us about the story of Samson from this point. Because to read it in scripture is kind of convoluted. It, it says it plainly enough, but he actually does it better. By the way, if you've ever seen the original writings of Josephus, the book is like this thick. The man was a prolific writer, and like me, he probably said the same thing. Actually, he did say the same thing over and over and over again in different ways, but he kept on saying, you know how that goes. So, so I have an abridged edition of Josephus' writings <laughs> because of that. By the way, in my notes, should you ever decide to get this book, or listen to the audio, but should you decide to get this book, I always put the source and the ISBN number in my notes of a book I use. So, you know, you can always get it or look it up. By the way, they say it's in my notes. Where's Jenny today? She's not teasing me about that. It's in my notes. It's in my notes. So we're going to go uh, through page uh, 94 in this particular book. When Samson was a young man, he went with his parents to the Sea of Timnah. Let me go back to, let me find out where... Um, it goes right here. Okay. At their wedding feast in Timnah, 30 sturdy young Philistines, stalwarts, stalwarts, I guess I say consorts, but they're stalwarts. <laughs> that doesn't have the right connotation in the modern English. 30 of his best friends, his, <laughs> his drinking buddies, young Philistine stalwarts were given to Samson under the pretense of, of uh, being his companions, <laughs> under the pretense of being his companions. In reality, they were to keep him in check. Because as we can see, Samson has a little bit of a wild side to him. And now he's at this wedding, and they want to see all the cedars go through. Um, during the celebration, Samson said to his companions, Come now, and I will tell you a riddle. If you can solve it within seven days... By the way, what's the number seven, and what's the significance of the number seven in Scripture? Completion. All right. Just something to roll around in your mind as you read Scripture, or as we read Scripture. If you can solve it within seven days, I will give you fine linen clothing as a reward for your wisdom. Remember what I used to say about what I used to say, what I have said, not used to say, because I'll still say it. The, the, uh, what linen means in scripture? Who's going to be dressed in fine and white linen at the return of Jesus Christ? He's coming in that garb. It is, it is a type of the God's Shekinah glory, which covered Adam and Eve. We talked about that. They were naked before they quote unquote knew they were naked. Why all of a sudden did they know they were naked? Obviously, something must have been taken away, and it wasn't clothing. It was the God's kind of glory. And if, by the way, it's all in my notes. So you're going to read that, because it's, it's actually within the first, like, third of my notes. We covered all this. Remember I told you in Genesis, the better you know Genesis, every concept in Scripture, every prophecy, all that God says he is, all of the things are presented in that one book. And if you know Genesis, the rest of the scripture is just detail. All right. So <clears throat> he says, uh, give you fine linen clothing as a reward for your wisdom. They asked him to tell it. Then Samson said, an omnivorous devourer. So he didn't actually say lion. I, I think in scripture he did. But an omnivorous devourer produced pleasant food from its grossly unpleasant self. This is probably a direct Hebrew translation. So I, I, it, it says lion, but maybe he actually did not say lion in, in actually telling the riddle. An omnivorous devourer prove, uh, produced pleasant food from its grossly unpleasant self. Hmm. When his companions were unable to solve the riddle in the three days, they came to Samson's wife and asked her to find out the answer from her husband. Remember this first Philistine woman he married. And then let 
uh, let them know it. Now you notice in both instances with both wives, these men, both with her and with Delilah later on, how do they try to get to Samson? Through his wife. Through wife. Men, be careful. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Women, stick with your husbands, okay? If there's a secret, keep it, please. Thank you very much. Um, threatening to burn her if she refused, under pain of death women. She asked Samson to tell her, and when he refused, she cried. Yes, she's using a feminine wiles because she doesn't want to be burned. So complaining that he did not love her until he finally told her now, I mean how, he had killed a lion and had brought honey away from the carcass. She used her feminine wiles. Isn't that cute? You don't love me. Yes, I do. Probably nagged him to death. Until he told her. By the way, didn't Delilah kind of get that same? What goes around comes around. She then reported this to the Philistine youths. On the seventh day, they came to Samson. Now, it's the end of the allotted time to solve the riddle. And said, nothing is more unpleasant than to meet a lion and nothing more pleasant than to taste honey. It sounds like they got the whole truth, especially if he never said these things in the original riddle. If I were Samson, I'd obviously say they, they must have found out exactly what I did from somebody because I didn't tell him. But Samson added, and nothing is more deceitful than a woman who betrays secrets. <laughs> See? So she betrayed his secret. He figured it out right away because he knew these Philistines. Then Samson went out and encountered, encountering some Philistines from Ashkelon, he took their clothing and gave it to his companions as he had promised. But he renounced his wedding, and the girl, despising his anger, soon married the Philistine youth who had been Samson's best man. So it's the old saga, you know. Why, do, why was the bride sad? Because she couldn't marry the best man? Well, in this case, she did. <laughs> why do they call him the best man? Isn't the best man the guy that you're supposed to be marrying? Isn't he supposed to be the best man? I don't know. Maybe not in my case, right, Rachel? You heard me. <laughs> at, th at this, Samson grew still angrier, and he decided to punish all the Philistines as well as her, Summer had come, and the crops were almost ready for harvesting. Samson caught 300 foxes and tying lit torches to their tails, he let them loose in the fields of the Philistines so that their crops burned up. When the Philistines learned of this, uh, that this was Samson's doing and why he had done it, they sent their rulers to Timnah. They burned alive the girl who had been his wife and her kin for being the cause of their misfortunes. And then it goes on, and I'm not going to read the rest of it. I just wanted to get that part out of it. But that's why, it's, by the way, it's always good to have a, uh, a copy of Josephus' writings. So I, it, and this morning, I'm not going to read it right now, but it goes into the whole story of where he went, what he did, how he meets Delilah, and all of that stuff. And, and if you're interested, you can read that on your own. But here's the point. Um, actually, you know what? Let me, let me do this. Let me, read, let me read the rest of it, because it actually goes into something I need to, I need to go over here. So Samson not only did burn those fields, but he had other victories, which I won't get into, over the Philistines. So now he's really trounced the Philistines, and they're really, really angry. And Samson was very proud of doing this to the Philistines. This, after this last encounter, which he had killed a lot of them, he killed with the jawbone of the donkey. Everybody know that story? He killed a thousand? Okay. So Samson's now feeling his oats. He's a very strong man, and he's ripped apart a lion. He's done all of these things to the Philistines and killed them with the jawbone of a donkey. Not bad. After this encounter, Samson had so little fear of the Philistines that he went to Gaza and lodged at one of the inns. When the magistrates of Gaza heard that he had come, they set guards at the gates to stop him from leaving. But Samson got up in the middle of the night, hurled himself against the gates, hoisted them, post doors and all. These gates were heavy. You know, they weren't the little chain link fences we have today. These things were heavy. 
and hurled himself against them, hoisted them upon his shoulders and carried the whole gate, including the posts, to the mountains of Hebron. Can you believe that? Samson now kept company. Ah, here's where I need to, to, to go. But I, this is Samson now. So you see his personality. And Josephus is correct in everything he says. <laughs> Samson now kept company with a Philistine harlot named... Remember you hear that Tom Jones song? He, at least he dispatches Delilah in that one because she laughed at him. Are you going to sing it? No. <laughs> I haven't heard it for long. And you aren't going to hear it now either. <laughs> I do have an MP3 of it, by the way, if anybody's interested. But it won't be on my website. Uh, a Philistine harlot named Delilah, and the rulers of the Philistine promised her much if she would find out from Samson the secret of his strength. So she asked him how he could be so extraordinarily strong. He replied, if I am bound with seven supple vines, I will be as weak as other men. Okay, so now he's lying to her. Remember, he had this experience with the first wife. He's a little cautious with the second wife. So you notice he also didn't tell her, I'm not telling you, because she knows that she would have probably nagged him to death until he told her something. So I might as well just get it over with, tell her a lie, and let, that, let it be that. I mean, I don't know the man, but I'm figuring, hey, if I were in his position, I might learn some lessons too. Later, when Samson was asleep, and it says here in parenthesis, or drunk. By the way, wasn't he a Nazarite? What were they not supposed to touch? Or anything of the grape? Okay. Some soldiers arrived and she, and, and she bound him tightly with the vines. Then she awoke him, crying that some men had come to attack him. So he must have been drunk. Because if she's bound him with the vines that he said that would take away his strength, and he never woke up while she was doing that, he must have been drunk. That's my, my opinion. That's why he probably wrote it here. Then she awoke him, crying that some men had come to attack him. Samson broke the vines apart and defended himself. Again, she pressed him to tell her the secret of his strength. He complained I did not trust her. Again, Samson deceived her and said, If I am bound with seven cords, I will lose my strength. But when Delilah had tried this too with no success, the third time he told her to braid his hair in a special weave. Now we're getting closer to quote-unquote what, what seems to be the source of his strength. But when this attempt also hid the truth, Samson finally held, yielded to Delilah and said, God ordered me not to cut my hair, for my strength is equal to its growth and preservation. But you see, we notice that again. His, his, is his strength really involved with his hair directly? Yeah. It is not. But there's something here. There's something he's in control of that he could do, that God said don't do, and if you do it, it will wind up bad for you. It will take away all of these things that you, I gave you as a gift or a talent to do what you're supposed to do. The things you'll need, remember Gideon was a judge. Was he super strong? No. He needed courage, right? Like the cowardly lion. And God called him a mighty warrior before he had courage, when he was blessed with that. Here, this man is blessed with a super strength, and you see what he did to the Philistines because he needed strength for the Philistines where Gideon needed to be a warrior and have an army behind him to do what he did. So this is, this is the whole point here. Learning the secret, she cut off his hair and betrayed him to his enemies. Since he was no longer able to resist them, they bound him, put his eyes out, and threw him into prison. Sometime later, the Philistines held a festival at Gaza, and their lords and notables were feasting in a great hall. They ordered Samson brought there so they could mock him. They're going to bring him in as the, as the clown, an award of war. And now Samson's hair had grown back long again. But I, I don't know how much time there was here. I don't know if it ever got as long as it, as it was before. Because so, he still had to ask specifically, I think, for the strength to come back. 
And to deceive them, he pretended to be weak. He asked the youth who led him by the hand to let him rest on the two central columns that supported the roof. When the boy had done this, Samson butted all his weight against them, overturned the columns, and brought down the hall, crushing more than 3,000 of whom, uh, of all of whom died, including Samson himself. So, anyway. Yeah, in 28 he does ask. He does ask, ask yeah. God. So that's, so thank you. So that's what I was saying. You've got to be careful about how things are presented. His hair grew. But again, he also had to ask God to restore his strength. And that's what I was pretty sure of. Thank you for looking that up. So you see the point here. There's something tied to his hair, but it's not the strength. It's a symbol of his strength, but it's not tied to it. So here's the point. Samson, and we're going to see here, Samson really disavowed himself, or, or not disavowed, but broke the laws of being a Nazarite in, in, in different ways here. First of all, he scooped the honey out of a lion he had killed, which resulted in him not only going near, but touching a dead body strike. He didn't marry the woman God intended. He allowed himself to marry a woman twice unclean as the Philistines because he was, she was also a prostitute. Now, okay? when did he marry her? It said to be liquidated. Yeah, I know. I was going to ask, where did Delilah come from? Because it doesn't even it doesn't, say it. Uh, does it say it in does, scripture? Does Jesus say anything about that? No. Yeah. No. When he's involved, she's involved with him, but it doesn't say it. He said he loved the woman in the Valley of Sorrow. Yeah, I thought she was married to her. So, and, you know, I'm not surprised that he wasn't either, but I thought he was. Because Samson was a law and up to himself anyway. So, Anyway, but she was still a Philistine and a prostitute. And if he didn't marry her, that's strike three in that particular relationship. Allowing betrayal, he had his long hair cut off before the time of his Nazarite vow would have been complete. But again, in his instance, it was probably for his whole life anyway. So you see how many times he broke the Nazarite vow? The end of the story is tragic, as with all of the other judges. And there were 13 of them. As Samson becomes useless and dies in dishonor with God still accomplishing his purpose, and he did. By even though he didn't marry the God intended, he didn't stay with the wife, let's put it that way, that God intended him to have, you know, she was a Philistine, and you, all of the other things we saw, he still was given great strength to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish, was to break the bonds of the Philistines over the Israelites. Um, I want to move forward here a little bit. Let's look at this... At this um, uh, riddle, because we have about 15 minutes left. So let's look at this riddle. I want to finish this book today. We know what he said. Now, in Scripture, actually, in, in Judges, in the NIV, if you go to Judges chapter 14 and 12, so he says, let me tell you a riddle if you can give me the answer within seven days. And we know that because uh, Josephus said that. And um, he, it, it says here, okay, he never mentions lying in the NIV. I don't know about the King James or anything else. He doesn't. Okay, so maybe, he, so I know, so, so what we read in Josephus is probably correct that he doesn't say lying at all in any translation. We can maybe assume that because it might have given it away anyway. But he says, and this is the key, in verse 14, he replied, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. All right, so that's what it probably says. Well, we look at what Josephus said he said, and in the Hebrew, it's probably closer to the truth. First, out of the events in Samson's life at that point, killing a lion with his bare hands was one thing, but coming back upon it and witnessing the highly unlikely event of this hive of bees being in there is another. It was so unbelievable that he actually remembered this instance, and even though it sounded like he was casual about it, he took the honey and he ate it and he gave it to his parents, he remembered it, and since it's so highly unlikely that this could ever happen, it was probably a sure bet that no one would guess the answer to this riddle. But Samson, because of his personality, it was, uh, you know, was trying to get over on somebody, and so that's what it seems like he did. Something like this was so unnatural, it was, it was absolutely almost impossible for somebody to get an answer. Well, let's look briefly at the symbol of a lion, okay, in Scripture. And I want you to just listen because I, I, I want to make sure we cover this. 
the notes, the scriptures are in my notes, so, you, so don't, all, don't all turn to these scriptures right now. I would appreciate it if you didn't, but I'm going to read it to you. And again, I'll give you the, the references, and you can look them up yourselves, but I want you to listen. Back in Genesis 49, remember when the dying Jacob is giving his blessing, which is the prophetic blessings to the 12 sons, right, which are going to be the, generate the 12 tribes of Israel. And we talked about in, in the past the, the, that Judah will be a lion's whelp, and, and the, the, the scepter of rulership will never depart from his feet. And we talked about the constellation of Leo and Regulus the star, which is the scepter. Right? If, if you haven't read my notes, look at them because it's important you understand that because these are the points that God wrote his whole plan of salvation in the stars, in the constellations. And it's truth. And I didn't make this up. This has been known for a very long time. Well, Scripture corroborates that. So... Matter of fact, I'm going to read that to you right now. Genesis 49, chapter 8. Judah, this is the blessing to Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Remember Joseph? Remember Jesus Christ? Sounds coming through the line of Judah. Verse 9. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. See this tight linkage with what a lion is? Verse 10. The scepter, or the, the, the regalio, the regulus, right? That's where we get regal, the scepter, the, the, the iron, the, the, the um, symbol of rulership. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. If you ever see the constellation of Leo, it's a crouching lion. And regulus makes its way between the feet. I'm not going to get into all of that. I'll, I'll touch upon it a little bit here, but it's important that you look at my notes because it's all laid out there. It's all laid out there. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until, now this is the key prophecy of Jesus Christ coming through Judah, until he or it, the scepter, comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation is his, of the nations is his. Who could that be other than Jesus Christ? The rulership, it stayed in Judah as prophesied. It made its way through the line of David, out of the line of David, through Jesus Christ, who will be back on the throne of David. The whole thing never, ever departs from Judah. And that's the prophecy. Okay? Let's look at something else here. Okay? Remember I said to, to remember that what, what, what blood did, did Scripture make clear was in Samson's veins? The, right, the Danites. Remember I said, remember that? Okay. Here's the, same, here's the prophecy from Jacob to his, to his son Dan, who's going who's to generate the Danites. And here's the key. Just as prophetic and telling as what I read you about Judah. Genesis 49 and chapters, uh, chapters 49 and verse 16. Dan will provide justice, but it's actually the word judgment. Dan will provide judgment for his people as one of the tribes of Israel, making it clear it's going to be coming through the line, a line of the people of Israel. The Amplified Version uh, actually clarifies this verse as it states, Dan shall judge, like I was saying. You've got to be careful with these translations. That's why I always say, translations aren't necessarily wrong, but you've got to be careful and compare them. That's why I like to use this as well as the Amplified Bible and the King James Bible. Those are my, my personal favorites, and I'm no scholar, but those are my personal favorites if I need to compare Scripture. Um, verse 17, uh, sorry, chapter, yeah, verse 17. Dan will be a serpent. Serpent? 
reptilian, saurian, one of the five, uh, four, five watches, actually five watches, and I'm not going to get into all these angels, but there are four mentioned in Daniel because one of them is out of the picture. The, Satan was a cherubim, a watcher. And it seems like God made a specific, you know, angels have classes, they have jobs to do, they, they have things to do. And Satan was the watcher for the reptilians, where you had the watchers of the, of the animals of prey, right? You have a watcher for the human species, if you will, and you also have watchers for uh, the, uh, domesticated animals and birds. And, and, and Daniel, when we get to Daniel, I'll explain more of that, because they had faces in Daniel of each of the type of, of uh, genre or species they were supposedly watching, that they helped God, and if you will, watch over these species, okay? And there were dinosaurs on the earth in the time of man. But you notice everything that Satan's tied to, he ties himself to something of the reptilian nature, like dragons and snakes. And in scripture, he's always tied to a serpent or something with, that's from the reptilian nature. This is why. This is why. So Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heel so that its rider tumbles backwards. Okay? But the key here is that in that context, Dan will be a judge using this capability or these bad features of the tribe of Dan to judge his people. Now, Samson's father's name was Manoah, right? And he was a Danite. If you look in Judges, you'll see that. There is strong evidence, and I'm going to get into this in the last five, few minutes here, that uh, we know that the Antichrist... If, if you followed what Daniel says about the Antichrist, he's supposed to come through the Greek and the Roman people. And if you look at the, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the, the statue of the four Gentile world powers, you can see these things. Um, and especially that the Greeks and the Romans and, and the Roman Empire gets resurrected as the end, right? As the, the, uh, the toes of miry clay and, and, and the iron. And that's what's coming back, the resurrection of the Roman Empire. Okay, but the key is, is that we know that the Antichrist will come through these people because of what Daniel said and, and other prophecies. But he will also have Danite blood in his veins. He will. During the tribulation, the Jews will accept the Antichrist as their Messiah, so he must have Jewish blood in his veins. We also know that Dan is going to be used to judge his people. And there's a history here, and I have a blurb here. Um, if you want me to read it, I'll read it, or I can just continue forward. It's, it has the scriptures that prove that, that could be used as proof, and, and there's also history, which I know something about, that, remember, who's the lost tribe of Israel? Dan. Dan. But you can track them through history. They became the Spartans, they went through the, Greek, the Greeks, and they finally made it through the Romans, and they made it into the European royalty. If you've ever read the Da Vinci Code, or you know what happened with the European royalty as they spread out, the Knights of Templar, and discussed the stuff that we discussed, too, last night. Um, in the Illuminati and down through the Masons and all of the other things, you will see that this line of people has made it lost, but not lost throughout history, and they're coming back as the, in the Antichrist. Okay? Um, rabbinical teaching in the Midrash, which is a, a teaching about, about, you know, an interpretation, if you will, about what Scripture says in, in a nutshell, that's what it is, states that Messiah will come from a father in the line of Judah and a mother in the line of Dan, which is the opposite of Samson. Okay? But it doesn't matter. The whole point is, it's made clear that Danite blood will be used as a judge. Okay, and let me just read to you, uh, um, well, I, I don't want to get into all of this now because it's going to take too long, but my notes talk about Jesus as coming as the Lion of Judah 
And in Revelation 5, he talks about he's a lion's cub, and he's a lion, all right? My point is, you read my notes, you'll get more about that. I, want to, I just want to f- try to finish up this book today, okay? But the point is, is that, it's too much to go through here. If, just read these notes, please. 389, I, it, I'm running out of time here, but it, it ties all of this together. And I want to get into the book of Ruth. So I want to end up with this. I'm going to give you some scriptures that points to the Antichrist uh, coming from Dan. All right? And then, and then we'll break in. That, and next week we'll really start from Ruth and we'll, because we're pretty much wrapped up here. He is a Jew, the Antichrist. In, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. G, capital G. Now think of this. Whose father, who, whose father's would, father would have been God? Only anybody from the, from the line of Israel, right? He, neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, so he must have Jewish blood in him. He must have Israel, nor regard any God. He's not going to be tied to Buddha or Allah. He's going to be a law unto himself. He will not regard whether the true God had said or what the false gods had said. He will not respect his lineage. For he shall magnify himself above all. This is Daniel 13 and 37. In Jeremiah, which is very prophetic, matter of fact, Daniel read Jeremiah because he was trying to be sure of when the 70-year period was going to end of captivity, so we know that. So Daniel took Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of his, very seriously. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and behold, trouble. The snorting of horses was heard from Dan. That's what it says here. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones, for they are come and have devoured the land. Who? The tribe of Dan. This is Jeremiah talking about it. And, and all that is in it, the city and those that dwell therein, for behold, I will send serpents, cockatrices among you, which will not be charmed, and they shall bite you, saith the Lord. What was put up on the pole? A snake. Because what is a snake a symbol of? Satan, his progeny, sin, and who hung on that pole and was the bearer of sin so much that he became sin for us. And whoever looked on him, all you had to do was look, was healed. Same thing. Um, in Isaiah 14, 29 and 31, Rejoice not you, rejoice thou, not thou, whole, the whole of Palestine. Because the rod of him that smote you is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, or cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, you of Palestine, or the whole of Israel. You are dissolved, for there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone in his appointed, in, in his appointed times. So, all I'm saying here, this is about Lucifer's fall to earth, but it's also on the end time about the Antichrist coming. I hope this ties this together for you. That this is not, a, this is not a, a big secret or something somebody made up. And we have to be ready to understand because I also told you that uh, the rabbis are expecting to pick Messiah themselves. They will pick who Messiah. He must be a man and he's got to be a Jew. And the Midrash says to look for this lineage and they will find him. So we got a couple of... From Israel. Yeah, from Dan, the tribe of Dan. Yeah. He does, well, he doesn't come physically from Israel when he comes on the world scene. He'll probably come through the UN. Right. 
um, and, so, and or something tied to the European infrastructure, because that's where we see it leading. Today, we're very close, and, and uh, so that's the point, yeah, Middle yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us that Daniel reference again? Because I think. What's that? The one in Jeremiah? Daniel. Um, Daniel 11:37. Yeah, 11:37. So we got a minute here. I just want to wrap up here. Okay. If if you look, at, I'll wrap up with this because I, I, we have a minute. I just I just think this is important enough for me to tell you. I was going to have you just read it, but I don't know if you will or not. If you look at what all of this means, Jesus. Again, I'll, I'll just summarize it here. If you look at astrology, I mean astronomy, not astrology, because astrology is the evil thing that Satan made out of astronomy, okay? Um, and, and, and the zodiac, if you look at Leo, okay, Leo symbolizes Jesus coming through the lion or the lion of Judah, okay? And, and if you look at Genesis 1.14, you, you can actually see that. Judah is, is coming from the past. There's a star called Regulus, which is the lawgiver, or this scepter of rulership that we talked about in, in the prophecy for them. And Regalio is the word, but the star, amazingly named Regulus, is in the constellation, all right? And it travels through. And actually, there's tied in here Jupiter and Saturn, the two, the two planets you can see at night, okay? And I'm just gonna summarize this here. Jupiter is symbolized by Jesus, or is the symbol of Jesus, and Saturn is the symbol of Satan. And one fact I'll give you here, and again, it's in the beginning of my notes, I just, I just wrapped it up here. I had, or somebody had used software to track the constellations and how they all move, because they're always predictable in the 12-month cycle. And they, they tracked it backward before the beginning, or, or, or backward before the people were keeping track of these things, right? They tracked it back and they found that from the very beginning, and you'll see this in my notes, that when Adam was the first king of the world, okay, it was Saturn had come in to conjunction with Regulus in the feet of, 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 of Leo. All right? Now, I'm not going to get into the specifics. This may be foreign to you, but read my notes. It's very, like, within the first 40 pages, you'll, you'll read this stuff. They found that at the birth of Jesus, they believe it's September 30th, okay, of 3 B.C., because there was a triple conjunction of Jupiter and Regulus in the constellation of Leo. And so if you look at that, they looked at the beginning of the world, that's why they believe, and the rabbis had believed this before this was ever even capable of having software move the, the, move the, the starry horizons back, right, the, the constellation back. They believed that the world was created in 4004 BC. And actually, if you look at this software and use it to track it, it indeed was in September 4004 BC when Adam was created. So Jupiter and Saturn have been chasing each other through Regulus, trying, and, and the whole point of this is, and then we'll end with this, the, the, Jupiter and Saturn are in competition for that scepter because he who wins rules the world and then by that rules the universe. At the beginning when Adam came, Saturn had the scepter, but he lost it because of sin. There has been a fight now where Satan, through humanism, through all of the things we know Satan is doing, he is trying to keep, make Adam, if you will, human beings, quote-unquote, win the king. That's where the Antichrist comes in. You have Adam as the first king. Supposedly, the Antichrist will win back everything after the 6,000 years is done. But on the good side of the equation, very simply, right, you have the prophecy of Jesus Christ coming to be the second king 
coming as Jesus Christ. So we have God creating everything and God winding up with it all in direct competition with Satan, tainting man, the fall of man, all the way through him trying to use man to usurp God's authority in the end to rightfully, because God does live, live by the laws he's put in motion. That's why there's this big fight, because there is, has to be a winner, and there are rules in the game. And God will provide, will buy, abide by those rules. That's why Satan said to Jesus, I have the authority to give you everything if you bow to me. Because he knew God would never say no if Jesus would do that. Because that's the rules. It's the rules. So he who wins by the rules wins entirely. Of course, we know the end of the game. So that's all I wanted to bring this to you. We're done with the book of Judges. I hope it was profitable for you. And uh, we will start with the book of Ruth. It's, it's actually going to be lovely because after all of this heartache and things we go through, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story of, of the deep love that God has. And we, we can see that in the book of Ruth. So we'll start that next week. Have a wonderful week, everybody.